Christmas was always a whimsical time for young Christopher. For as long as he could remember, Santa Claus came down the chimney, left gifts, ate cookies, and drank cocoa. I mean, then, he was gone without a trace and left behind. With the exception of maybe some crumbs and some hoof prints, this time of year was a mystical uh, to Christopher, and he loved it so much. Just like any other child, Christopher was also obsessed when it came to catching Santa in the act. Oh. Oh, how he would boast to his friends when he finally captured a photo of Santa climbing out of the fireplace or the film of flying reindeer. He yearned for the opportunity. And this year, his desire was particularly singular. You see, Christopher had an ingenious plan. There was no chance of it failing. His attempts in earlier years, for to be exact, had taught him what simply not to do. There would be no trying to stay awake, listening for sleigh bells, or getting a video camera in front of the fireplace. Nah, Master Claus was way too clever for that. This year, Christopher would hide outside, in the snow, after his parents went to sleep. He would take his father's thermos and his own hot cocoa. He would hide in the snow fort he and his brother built in the yard. That would be the last thing Santa expected. Well, as for staying awake, he he was sure that he could do it. After all, he was nine now, and he knew how hard it was to sleep on Christmas Eve. Anyways, but he didn't want to take any chances, so he would take some fishing line from the garage, tie it to the fireplace door handle, and unwind it all the way to the stove for it. That way, if somehow he fell asleep, the string would tug on him once Santa opened the fireplace door. When Santa finally appeared, he would get everything recorded on his brother's older cell phone. Voila. With bedtime at Christmas Eve, Christopher went to his room to fiend sleep until his parents had gone to bed. He laid there for what seemed time without end until finally he heard the master bedroom door creak shut at the end of the hall. He lay there another half hour or so, ensuring all was quiet. Then he crept out from under his quilts. He dressed, took the thermos and fishing line that he had pilfered before, and slunk down the stairs, careful to avoid the dread creak on the third step from the bottom. The front door was the final test. Getting it open, and closed behind him without making too much of a racket. It starting to sweat a bit in his little coveralls, he held his breath until he had closed the door behind him and no lights had come upstairs. He walked backward to the fort, unwinding the fishing line, and then finally <sighs> breathed deeply. When he sat down inside, at last, Christopher sat waiting for about half an hour. Before he felt the sleepiness creeping in, he fought it, but ultimately lost. He learned. He leaned over and went to sleep in the snow. Depending on his fashion line to wake him up, two hours later, around two in the morning, Christopher felt a tug. At first, his brain translated it to something fuzzy, sensation deep, and dreamland, but eventually, his subconscious jolted him. With the real life, he bolted upright, fumbling for the cell phone, heart pounding, 
He slowly poked his head around the door of the snow fort. Two people dressed in black stood at Christopher's front door. He froze, unable to think, but somehow knowing that these two were up to no good. Fright overwhelmed him, and he wet himself, and then he fainted face down in the snow. He woke up a few minutes later to the sound of his mother's screams. Part 2 Chris, not Christopher since his parents' murder, had not spoken to his brother Jonathan in almost a year. Two decades had passed since that Christmas, and no matter how hard Chris tried, the two just could not get along for more than a few days at a time. Jonathan had woken up in the middle of the night that Christmas to get a snack downstairs, and on his way down to the hall noticed that Chris was out of bed. He made his way downstairs, expecting to see his brother on the couch, endeavoring to catch St. Nick, as he had always had. That was when the front door creaked open and two dark-clad men slided through their front door. He ran as fast as he could back up to the stairs to grab his cell phone to call 911, only to find out that it was missing. Naturally, Jonathan blamed Chris for everything after that. The two men had come upstairs while Jonathan hid under some clothes in his closet hamper. He heard his mother's screams and was too scared to come out. He heard the men leave and wanted to check on his parents. He couldn't. Would not revisualize that scene. He staggered downstairs and found Chris in the kitchen, a blank look on his phone, and smelling like urine, Jonathan snatched the phone and dialed 911. Years of therapy and foster homes later, Jonathan had not found it in his heart to forgive Chris. It was his fault that Jonathan could not call for help. It was his fault that the front door was unlocked. Jonathan couldn't be in Chris's presence for very long without reminding him. Recently, Chris and Jonathan had agreed to meet for lunch. Jonathan... Jonathan was very weary of the meeting, but his wife, Molly, insisted that he had an obligation. Chris was family. So there they sat in a greasy spoon diner eating fried food that would surely shorten their lives in some capacity. And in the way that awkward small talk does, the brothers found themselves talking about vacations. The wife and I... Want to get away this weekend, as a matter of fact, but we can't find a babysitter. Uh, we can go another time, Jonathan said. I could watch the kids for you for the weekend. I'm home. Haven't seen them in a while anyway, Chris offered, eagerly trying to buy some sort of approval, as always. Jonathan didn't want to stop to think about what he said. Uh, I wouldn't be comfortable with that, he stated abruptly. Chris looked at Jonathan in the face, anguish filling his eyes with a glassy hurt. He wiped his mouth, stood, left $20 to the table, and exited the diner. That was how they'd left it. Jonathan making a snippy remark and Chris solemnly walking out of an already shaky lunch meeting. Chris had looked at him like a puppy at a rolled newspaper. Jonathan hadn't been able to face him again since. Meanwhile, Chris tried to move on with his remedial life. Oh, how 
He hated watching his mother and father being lowered into the cold ground on a gray, snowy day in January. His brother wouldn't look him in the eye, and the lady from CPS that smelled like hairspray and cigarettes wouldn't even hold his hand. What was going to happen to him? Would he and his brother be separated? How come Santa never appeared? He was partially to be blamed for being late. And he had fallen asleep in the snow and woken up without parents. Come back from the awkward lunch. He sat at his cubicle at his dead-end job for kids without parents that grew up to be adults without parents. He pondered the last 20 years of his life and he punched in some numbers and symbols in a monotonous spreadsheet for Sentinel Home Security as he spiraled down into his regret and resentment. Traipsing a snowflake, repeating fault, despair, and longing. Christopher was robbed of experience, of joy at Christmas Eve ever again. His brother hated him, and for what? Because a jolly fat man had disappointed him year after year? He couldn't be trusted. To make matters worse, everyone thought it was his fault. They'd even tried to tell him Santa was fake, that he didn't exist, but they insisted. But that could not be true. If it was, Christopher had deprived his parents the chance to live. No, Santa was no saint, just a man that perpetually lets people down. After the murders, Santa stopped visiting Christopher home after home and never did again receive anything he put on his list. Eventually he quit making them. He added Santa to another list. A list of people that abandoned him. He despised the phonetic parallel between his name and Chris Kringle. Eventually Chris figured out that mentioning disdain for Santa earned him quizzical looks from, well, everyone. He learned that most thought of Santa as a myth for children, incapable of causing any harm. But how they were wrong. Santa Claus had caused the death of his parents. He was an arcane, evil man. Day after day, Chris sat in his springlet of blame and desperation for people to understand. More than anything, he wanted Jonathan to comprehend to forgive him for a crime he had never really committed. And as he trudged home one November evening... On the curbside slush, he passed what may have been the last window shop on Earth. In it, a 4K television played How the Grinch Stole Christmas. In all of its Susan majesty, the idea particularly slapped him in the face with all of that the season could muster. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to my podcast, my stories. It really means a lot to me. And uh, if you want to support the podcast, it'll help me pay the bills, keep the lights on and everything else. And it'll help me keep these stories coming at you. So if you go to the link in the description, and you should find it there. And thank everyone for their support.